Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, the Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. As Jesus prepares for his betrayal and crucifixion, we see two distinct responses to the person of Jesus, one of heartfelt worship and one of rejection and betrayal. The series is Extraordinary. In today's episode, Extraordinary Worship. Here's Associate Pastor J.C. Thompson. Well, good morning. Man, that was incredible. Nikki did such a great job. She did good. Yes, you can clap for her. She did excellent. Uh, thank you so much for being here. We are in the middle of a series entitled Extraordinary where we are discussing uh, how Jesus is more than just an ordinary person. He's an extraordinary person, and how the ordinary people that followed him observed and accomplished uh, extraordinary things. Today, we're going to be in John chapter 12, so you can go ahead and turn there. And we will be talking about a couple of women's extraordinary response in worship to Jesus, but not everyone responds in worship and devotion to Christ. In fact, One person that we'll see in today's story who spent a lot of time with Jesus is actually revealed as a hypocrite and ultimately someone who's opposed to the mission of Jesus Christ. And that's not much different than today. You know, I think sometimes we have this picture, probably because of American culture, where we are seen kind of like you can be neutral towards Jesus. You can kind of be okay with him, you know. You like him, you like some of the things that he did, you can be for that, but you don't really have to like go all in, you know, but you wouldn't say that you don't like him, you know, that's kind of the American uh, culture's perspective on Jesus, but then you read what Jesus did, you hear the things that he said, and you go, you can't really be like in the middle about it, you got to decide, am I in or am I out, and ultimately all of us will do that, and the scriptures teach us that, but some of us may pay Uh, honor to Jesus with our lips and our words, and that's not really what's in our heart. Scriptures talk about this, Isaiah chapter 29, I selected this as our theme verse today. Isaiah 29 verse 13 just says this, the Lord says, these people come near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. See, with Jesus, there's only two options of responding to him. One, is worship and heartfelt, full-up devotion, or the other is rejection and betrayal. And all of you in this room must choose how you will respond to Christ's presence and His work in this world. So if you've got your outline, you can go ahead and take it out. Worship of Christ leads to loyal service. Loyal service will be in John chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. Now, if you're not, if you're not paying attention or maybe you haven't read this story, yes, that's not some turn of phrase. He literally was raised from the dead. He was dead, and then Jesus, looking at the tomb that he was buried in, yelled out, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus walked out. So when it says he came back from the dead, that's not a figure of speech. He came back from the dead. You know, I think it's clear for us 
these are the things you got to wrestle with, with Jesus. You can't just say like, he's, he's, you know, he's a good guy. Like, no, like he raised people from the dead. As a Christian, we believe some extraordinary things. And so when the scriptures say Lazarus was raised from the dead, that's, that's the truth. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. The story takes place in a town called Bethany, where Lazarus and his sisters, uh, Mary and Martha, live. And they are throwing a party for Jesus. Now, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I don't really like parties. I really never have liked parties. I don't like my own birthday party. I, I just, I'm not a party guy. Like, I don't like to sit in a room and mingle with people, small talk. I don't know what that is. Like, all, all those things, I'm just, that's not my setting. But I will tell you, if somebody told me there's a party and Jesus is the guest of honor, I'm there. And not only am, am I there, I am preparing. I, I'm, I'm going to have a time of prayer. I'm going to say, God, what do you want me to make for Jesus? I'm going to be at the big green egg. It's going to be hours of smoke and seasoning. It's going to be delicious. And I will just be ready for Jesus to taste what I prepare for him. So that would be a party that I would love to be a part of. And then I would sit down and listen to everybody else talk and I would be fine, okay? So that's, that's what I would do. Now, this is the party that's going on. I also think it's fun because Jesus showed up to the party where he knew he was going to get honored, right? You got to love that. Some people would be like, I just, I don't want all that attention on me and all that stuff. Jesus wasn't like that. He was like, you're right, I'm coming. And so I, I think it's so important for us to just see this real life interaction with people who Jesus had just done an incredible thing, raising a person from the dead, and his family wants to honor Jesus for doing that. I think it's just tremendous that we see that real-life example of devotion to Christ. Now, in the Greek, and maybe in some of your English translations, it says Lazarus was reclining at the table. Anybody's translation say that? You can just give me a quick head nod. I'll pretend like you weren't going to sleep, but you were agreeing with me, okay? So, uh, reclining, in the, in the old, uh, old Bible times, right, they'd have a table, it'd be real low to the ground, and the way that you would eat is you'd be laying on one arm, you'd be eating with your other hand, and your feet would be kicked out behind you. Thank God that we have progressed in furniture building since then, right? That seems incredibly uncomfortable to me, okay? But they were all reclining, so I think it's just clear that you need to know what the atmosphere is. Uh, I, don't know, I, I don't like small talk already, but if I'm laying down with a group of people, I like it even less, okay? But Lazarus, he's having a good time. He is there, and I just think it's important that you understand this guy, Lazarus, like he was dead, and now he's not dead. Now, I don't know about you, but if something like that happens in your life, you become like the thing that somebody wants to talk about. You know what I'm saying? Like if you got raised from the dead, everywhere you go, Food Lion, Publix, a sports game, they're like, hey, what was it like being dead? And we would ask all kinds of questions. Was it dark? Do you remember anything? Did you see anybody? Did you cling to a light? Did Jesus like come in some light and pull you out? How can you hear when you're dead? Like these are all questions I would ask. I don't know if you've got questions like that. But everywhere he would go, he'd create a little bit of a stir. Now Lazarus, in fact, a lot of scholars believe that Lazarus, after he was raised from the dead, lived a very private life. You can imagine the burden that that would be as you go into Publix and people just grab you. You know, what's death like? And so he, he did live a private life. But then he comes out of hiding almost, out of this life of privacy to 
come to this party to honor Jesus. And so I just wonder if you were at that party, what would that be like? What would it be like to be at a party where Jesus is the guest of honor and you've got all these people with tremendous stories that they want to share, gifts for him? What would that be like? And I want, to see, I want you to see a couple of the positive responses to Jesus in this moment. Uh, first of all, we see that Martha is serving there. I think this is so important for us because if you know a little bit about Mary and Martha, there's another story of Mary and Martha where Martha is serving and Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet and Jesus rebukes Martha for what she's doing. Mar- Martha was getting flustered. She, was, she had a house party then too and so she's preparing everything and everything's going great. She's probably getting a little overwhelmed with all the things to do and she's like, Jesus, tell my sister to come and help me. And Jesus goes, no, I ain't going to do that. She has chosen what is best. So I'm going to let Mary have what she wants, which is time with me. And so Martha got rebuked. But if you're not careful, if you're not a careful Bible reader, you will see that Martha is not rebuked here for serving. And yet the function, the behavior that she is doing is the same in that story. So what's changed? Well, I think her heart's changed. I think she accepted Jesus' rebuke. I think when Jesus said, Mary's chosen the right thing, I'm not going to take that from her. I think Martha said, oh man, I need a reset here. I'm flustered about a house party when I could be spending time with the guest of honor. And I didn't do that. So we don't see that rebuke here. And so I think that's important for us. I think Martha's heart has changed with the previous instruction that Jesus gave to her. I think we must see that the issue was not that Martha was serving. The issue was how was her heart entangled in her service. Previously, that was her idol. That was her pride. I'm going to throw the best party. I'm going to make sure everybody's happy. I'm going to do all the things. And it led to some frustration. And yet here it seems that she is serving at peace and thankful pleased. And I want you to know that Jesus is pleased when we serve him. He loves that. We should be excited to serve Christ. Romans 12 teaches us that, but also Galatians 6, Galatians 6, 9 says this. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. And some of you in this room, let me just tell you, you're growing tired. You're wondering, does Jesus even see what I'm doing? Let me encourage you, man, there are a lot of people. This is a great place if you are someone whose heart for Christ is shown through the way you serve others. This church is a wonderful place for you. In fact, I was privileged to be able to go visit um, some friends this weekend who had just taken in two children into their home through foster care. A little, little baby, like a baby doll-sized baby. You know what I'm talking about? Like very tiny. And then a two-year-old. And listen, they've signed up for service. You know what I'm talking about? Like some of y'all remember those sleepless nights and days. Y'all hear me? And that was your own child. And you were going a little frustrated. These are two children from another home taken in. And I'm thankful that Brookwood is a place that it's not, it's not just about foster care. We've, we've got folks who, when there's a project that needs to be done at someone's house, especially for those in our, our church home who are a little older and maybe need some assistance in that, man, we've got a group of people at one, one, one moment will go and take care of those things. We've got folks who are going domestically and internationally. We've got mission partners in all of the continents except for one. And that place, I don't know if they have missions in Antarctica yet. 
But I'm telling you, we, this is a wonderful church to be a part of with people whose hearts are drawn to the Lord and want to serve. And I think it's a wonderful place to be for that reason. How are you serving Christ right now? Listen, we all got stuff to do. We all are busy. Our calendars are always full. We have lots of family and friends and people to talk to. But what's your service to Christ look like? Worship of Christ also leads to lavish generosity. Lavish generosity. Verse 3. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. Here we see Mary's extravagant gift of anointing that she poured on Jesus that Nikki sang so beautifully about. Now, as we discussed earlier, those reclining at the table would have had their feet out behind them. So it would have been easy for Mary to come and anoint Jesus' feet. But in Matthew's account, we see that Mary anointed Jesus' head. Now, I think John particularly is talking about Jesus' feet because he's talking about a prophecy, a biblical prophecy that's coming. But I'm just telling you, 12 ounces of anything is way too much for one man's feet, okay? If you're putting that much stuff on your feet, you got another conversation you got to have, okay? I think Mary, I think Mary took this whole giant thing of perfume, 12 ounces. You can't get on the airplane with that. And she poured it all over Jesus. I think it got on his head, his chest, his back, his legs, his feet. I think it got everywhere. And I think Mary wanted it to be all over him. See, her gift is generous in a number of ways. First, this was a well-known perfume at that time from the spikenard plant. It would have come from the root and the spike of the plant. And part of the reason why it was so expensive was because it had to be shipped from India. FedEx didn't exist back then, okay? So to get something from India over here to Bethany was a pretty penny. But in addition to that, some of your English translations say this, but the Greek lets us know that this perfume was pure. Now, i got to let you in on a little secret. I know a little bit about essential oils. Not a lot, but a little bit, Okay? I know that there's some stuff you could put on your skin, and then there's some stuff you could just smell. So when it says pure, it's okay for everything. There is nothing that may harm you in this particular perfume, and it's, the pure stuff costs more than the less pure stuff. Everybody with me? So the fact that it came from India, the fact that it is pure, and the fact that there's so much of it says a lot about its value. But in addition to that, we see what somebody thinks this perfume is valued at later on in verse 5. Judas tells us that it would be about 300 denarii, which would be about one year's salary of the average worker. One year's worth of salary poured on to Jesus. We also see in the account from Matthew chapter 26 that this was in an alabaster container which there's no like screw tops back then. That was not a technology that existed. And so when you opened a container of something that was pure like this, the longer it set out, the worse it becomes. And so when you break it, you're all in. There's no putting it back in the box. It's all coming out. 
Now, it is possible that Mary's family was extremely wealthy, and this was just one of a number of gifts that she had. But more than likely, this was a family heirloom that was passed down from generations. So I want you to picture this for a moment. Mary, Martha, Lazarus's great-grandfather, great-grandmother passed this down generation after generation after generation for one day, Jesus Christ to come to earth and for them to break this gift and offer it to Jesus. And listen, I think that says a lot about our family and how we build our legacy, how we treasure things and how we spend time with our family. Our family is always leaving our home with what's important. But the question is, what is important to us? But in addition to the generosity of this gift that Mary offered to Jesus, she also wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. Now, in that culture, foot washing itself was one of the most degrading jobs that existed. It would have been low man on the totem pole if you were one of the servants in the home to get the foot washing duties. In fact, we see later on in the book of John, the disciples refused to wash each other's feet. They didn't want to touch that job. And we'll see in that story later on in this series how Jesus took that step to do what was most degrading when the disciples refused to do that. But not only did she wash Jesus' feet with her own hair, something that would have been completely disgusting in that culture, add in the fact that women weren't supposed to let down their hair at all. In fact, to do so in public would have at least been indecent, but more than likely everyone would have viewed that as an immoral act, a public sign of affection done in a way that was egregiously indecent. But Mary was not concerned about what other people thought. She knew how she wanted to offer a gift to Jesus Christ. And she was not concerned what other people thought about how she used the gift or what the gift was that she was offering to him. She was consumed with the thought of giving honor to the one who had given so much to her. Through his friendship with her, through his teaching, through his miraculous healings and miracles, and ultimately through the raising of her brother Lazarus from the dead. Could you imagine what was inside of her heart, overflowing with devotion to Christ for all that he had done for her? John lets us know that not only was Jesus anointed, but anyone who was in the house would have benefited from Mary's generosity. It would have smelled wonderful in that house. I mean, y'all have all been in homes where when you walk in, it smells like baked cookies and warm hugs. You know what I'm talking about? You don't want to leave those places. Everyone, whether they brought a gift to the table or not, would have been blessed by the gift that Mary had bestowed upon Jesus. I think it's the same with our gifts of generosity. You know, when you give to the church, you're giving to God. That's why you give to a church. You give to God first. But all of us experience the blessings from those gifts. In fact, a a lot of the families that we have here at Brookwood are supported by the gifts that you give as a church family. In addition to that, we get to experience wonderful things here as a church family as a result of that. You know, those gifts don't come to me. I'll I'll give you a small example of this. When uh, Every year when we get camp, every year when we go to camp, student camp, I have a family, older, older couple, and they email me every year. And they say, hey... If you've got any kids that want to go to camp and they can't pay for it, you let me know and we'll take care of that. Okay? Our church is filled with people like that. It's such a blessing to be here in that. Let me tell you, they're giving to these kids for camp. That's not a gift to me. 
It's for the students who get to go and whose families can't afford it. But I'm blessed every single year I get that email. Every single year when it comes through my inbox, it brings a smile to my face, it warms my heart, and it reminds me of just how great a place this is. I benefit from someone else's generosity even when the gift is not directed to me. See, at Brookwood, because of your generosity, people around the world are offered food, the gift of sight, education, and most importantly, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think without our generosity as a church, many people won't experience those things. While our gifts should be focused on Christ alone, we should be desiring to answer the question that we offer to God. God, what is it that you want me to give? What do you want me to give to you? And while we give those gifts to God, they're ultimately a blessing to other people. If you are in this room and you give to our church, can I just say thank you? If you're online and you give to this church, thank you. Many people are blessed. We've seen families restored. We've seen miracles happen in people's lives. It is a tremendous, tremendous honor to serve here as one of the pastors. These men and women at this party have been transformed by Jesus Christ. And they are making an intentional effort to honor him and share gifts of thanksgiving with him. Followers of Christ should be marked by lavish generosity. Can I tell you something? You've got to answer the question, am I being generous towards Jesus? With my money, with my time, and with the gifts that he's given to me. Are you being generous with those things? Or are you hoarding those to yourself? The church family misses out when you don't share your gift. Even if the gift isn't directly for us, our whole family benefits when you give. So I want to challenge you to spend some time with God and ask that question. But worship and devotion and sacrifice and surrender is not the only response of the people at this party. There's also a response of rejection. So if you've got your outline, we'll continue. Re rejection of Christ results in attachment to possessions. Attachment to possessions. Verse 4. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, That perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Now, John gets a little, gets a little aggressive here in his authorship. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief, and since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. See, Judas wanted to appear as if he was concerned about other ways they could have used Mary's gift to care for the poor. But let me ask you a question. Does Judas care for the poor? Come on, you've got to answer. This, is, this, is, this isn't one of those tests you, you can't answer. Does Judas care for the poor? Does anyone in this room think that he's some undercover philanthropist who doesn't want to know his right hand from his left what they're doing? No, that's not what he's doing. He makes a public statement that unmasks himself as the hypocrite that he truly is. Now, I don't know about you, but I remember being a kid and watching this show. It's an older show. Some of you in this room probably have never seen it before. A lot of you in this room have. And there were these moments at the end of the show where somebody's mask come off. And most of the time you were like, I knew it. I knew that was who it was. But other times you were completely shocked. What in the world? I never would have guessed that person. You remember this show? 
Scooby-Doo. Man, I remember as a kid sometimes I, I would be trying to guess who the criminal was before we even knew what was going on. We didn't even know the crime was. And I'm trying to figure out what in the world, what are we doing here? What's going on? And then the mask would come off. You'd be like, knew it. I knew it the whole time. But then other, other times you'd be like, wow, I had no idea. I had no idea. Now, normally the person who had their mask ripped off, who was ultimately the criminal in these episodes of Scooby-Doo, sometimes they had some sort of personal hurt and wound that they were dealing with and they were trying to get back at somebody. Other times they just had some type of selfish business motivation that they were trying to make sure prospered. But John is pulling no punches here. He wants us to know exactly who Judas is. He doesn't want there to be any mistake over the identity of the one who was betraying Jesus. The Greek has an interesting phrasing that I think draws out exactly what Judas is doing to Mary. In fact, the way that it describes what Judas's role was as caring for the money purse, the offerings that would have been given, he's letting you know, John is letting you know that people threw offerings into that purse. They gave those offerings. And then Judas stole some of people's offerings to use for his own benefit. So the Greek says it like this, Judas helped himself to the offerings in the money box that were cast into it. Because Judas is telling Mary exactly how to use her gift. Much like he determined the best way to use most people's gifts that gave to Jesus. By taking them and using them for himself. Be careful. It is a dangerous thing to begin believing that you are the one to tell others how they should use their gift. Be very careful. Judas's love of money drove him to mistakenly view his role not as the one who was in charge of keeping the money safe, but instead as the one who was in charge of determining where the money goes. Judas was attempting to stop Mary from using her gift to honor Jesus Christ and instead to give the gift to him. Judas is wrapped up in his love of money. In fact, we see that because in Matthew's account, right after this story, Judas agrees to betray Jesus for a mere 30 pieces of silver which would amount to about a month's wages. Telling someone what to do with a year's worth of salary and exchanging a man's life for a month's worth. It's bold. It's not a neutral response to Jesus Christ. It's outright betrayal. This meager amount of money that Judas betrayed Jesus for lets us know that he had an unhealthy obsession with material things. It's also important to note that Judas was not the only one who thought that the money should be used for the poor. In fact, Matthew's account says that some of the disciples said, we should give this money to the poor. It would be better used in that way. Now, I don't know if it just means John's a savage and he's just out in everybody. That's not normally characteristic of John to do that. And I don't know if Matthew was trying to like, you know, be a little more community focused and say, no, a couple of us were thinking about that. You know, it wasn't just Judas. He always gets a bad rap. You know, I don't, I don't know what it was. 
But what I do know is they weren't the only ones, just like they're not the only ones in this room who think that that money could have probably been used in a more pragmatic nature, in a way that makes more sense, in a way that might help more people. But Jesus, who is truly extraordinary, corrects Judas in gentleness. Verse 7, he says this. He says, Jesus replied, leave her alone. Now, I want to stop here because sometimes when you prep, you read a couple phrases and you just go, all right, I, I need to just sit with this for a minute. Some of you in this room, you've been serving Christ, you've been generous with your life, and you've got all kinds of people who want to tell you what to do. Jesus is your advocate. And he tells Judas, you leave her be. I just want you to see that in your life, whether it is something you did that is so honoring to Jesus Christ or something that was done to you that is so detestable to Jesus, Christ sees you and he is for you and he loves you and he is an advocate and a defender of you when you honor him with your heart. And Christ is an incredible advocate. So he says, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. Which again, you go, wait a minute, he's not dead. What's he talking about? And I'm sure everybody in the room was thinking the same thing. I mean, Jesus, you're probably going to be here for another 30 years. And Jesus says this, you will not, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now, that's a great statement, right? And we love that statement anyway because Jesus said it. We love everything Jesus said. But Jesus here is pointing back to an Old Testament principle. In Deuteronomy 15, 11, he says this, there will always be some in the land that are poor. Did you catch it? Same phrasing. If you were connected to the law, if you were comfortable with it, you would have known that what Jesus was doing was he's pointing you back to how you're supposed to think about the poor. This is not new. Jesus is not sharing new information that the poor is always going to be here. No, this is how God's always viewed this. And what is God's instruction for the fact that the poor will always be with us? His instruction is this. That is why I'm commanding you to share freely with the poor and with other Israelites in need. In other words, Jesus is saying to everyone in the, in the room, Judas, I'm not saying don't care about the poor. In fact, since the beginning of time, God has cared about the poor. And we should be concerned about caring about the poor. Jesus is reemphasizing that with the statement. Okay, you hear what I'm saying? He's coming back to the law and he's reminding them, no, we should care about the poor. Because who in the room doesn't care about the poor? The guy who says we need to care about the poor. Judas. Jesus is going, no, this is how it's always been. But... Jesus' quotation of this scripture reinforces the caring of the poor. It's super important for us as followers of Jesus, and it is a characteristic of those who are a, family of, a part of the family of God. But he is also prioritizing himself as the rightful king and identifying himself as the one and only son of God. So Jesus is saying, you're right, Judas. We should be caring for the poor. And the poor will always be here. But I'm not going to be. And Jesus declares, you need to spend your time prioritizing me while I'm here. 
It's important to note that Judas, in his betrayal, was not manipulated by God. Judas was freely choosing what he wanted to indulge his self rather than invest himself into the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus consistently and constantly tried to encourage Judas to repent of his sin and embrace a life of faith in God. But Judas did not. Jesus also was not like us at the end of some Scooby-Doo episodes. He was never shocked that Judas came out to betray him. Multiple times, even just in the account of John, Jesus says, Judas is a devil. I sit at the table with the one who's going to betray me. Jesus always knew what was going on, which lets us know Jesus can never be characterized as being against someone when they are freely able to make a decision for Christ. Jesus is always showing grace and mercy until the very end for people. You hear what I'm saying? He's always showing grace and mercy to the very end for people. And we should do the same. But JC, that means lots of hurt and heartache and frustration. It means all those things. We present the truth just as Jesus did here. We present it in love. And we're long-suffering with people. That is who we should be as followers of Christ. But this act of gentle rebuke from Jesus pushes Judas over the edge and he makes a deal with the religious leaders to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. So I want you to see our worship is always an indicator of where our relationship with is, where our relationship with Jesus is. But our treasure shows us who we truly worship. You look at your calendar, you look at your checkbook, If you had a journal of your thought life, you look at those things, you see very quickly what you worship. We're all worshipers. You know, I I read an author this week, uh, a pastor, and he said, what the church sings tells us what the church believes, but how the church sings tells us if they believe it. Is your treasure in Jesus Christ or is it in something else? Are you concerned with only the gifts that Christ offers to you? Or do you treasure him above everything else and ask, what can I offer more to him? Rejection of Christ also results in attraction to power. Attraction to power. Verse 9. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too. For it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. Once again, we see a crowd forming around Jesus. He didn't invite everybody, but they showed up because they heard he was in town. But they also wanted to see Lazarus who was raised from the dead. Because who wouldn't? You hear about somebody who's raised from the dead? You find a way to go get to those people and you talk to them. The gathering of this crowd would have been an occasion for the religious leaders to be more interested not only in the person of Jesus and the stir that he was creating, but anyone who was connected to him, including Lazarus. See, the priest not only wanted to kill Jesus, but their thirst for power now includes Lazarus' murder as well. 
What an incredible testimony to the power of Jesus Lazarus must have been. They didn't want to just see Jesus. They just wanted to see somebody that had a miracle that Jesus had done. But these religious leaders, they wanted to snuff that out. How quickly is the fall of someone drunk on power? Not only did they want Jesus off the face of the planet, but they also wanted to get rid of anyone that would have been connected to him or anyone that would have been a testimony to the message of the kingdom of God being present here on the earth. Lazarus was an innocent bystander who had benefited from Jesus' ministry. And yet they wanted to murder him in cold blood. Be careful. I know you think to yourself, well, I would never, you know, I'd never get to that place. But the scriptures tell us our heart can get there very quickly. 1 John 2, 15 and 16 says this, Do not love the world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. Jesus' agenda does not conform to your agenda. He is the rightful king. He is worthy of all our devotion and praise. But there is a temptation to be drawn to the power and influence that he offers. Now listen, young people, I want you to lean in real quick. JC, you never define young people. I heard that a couple weeks ago. You never define, what does that mean? If you feel young, it can apply to you, okay? I think it's important for us to consider the culture that we live in today. Young people, we are so weary of anyone with influence, power, and authority because they have power, influence, and authority. It doesn't matter what they do with it, power, influence, and authority. They're to be mistrusted. You mistrust organizations. You mistrust anything that gets too big. You, you mistrust people just because they have a title. That's the culture that we live in. But I want to give you two perspectives on that, okay? One perspective, you should care about people's character and integrity, young people. That matters. And you should care more about it than how successful they make a company. You absolutely should. In fact, the scripture has talked about leadership like this forever. This has always been how God designed it. We, we should pick leaders in the church based on their character and integrity, not based on their skills. And if they need a gift, if our church needs a gift, if our church needs a talent, the Spirit will provide those to the people who have character and integrity. That's how God's system of leadership works. And so if there are men and women who have character and integrity and they have positions of power and influence, young people, we shouldn't just mistrust them because they have title and authority. We should honor them for their faithfulness. But we should also treasure character and integrity above how successful they can build businesses and organizations. That's how God would view successful leadership. But even those who have strong character and integrity can be tempted to embrace power at any cost. Business leaders, managers in this room or watching online, you know the temptation to cut some corners in order to be more efficient. 
You can know the temptation to ask somebody to maybe work a little bit extra than what they're not supposed to legally. You've got to choose to do business leadership in God's way, in God's direction, apart from how successful it might be. In fact, you've got to leave success on the doorstep as you walk into the home of Christian leadership. And if success comes, praise be to God. If it doesn't come, praise be to God that you've decided to be faithful to him, regardless of how successful you become. Because we must treasure Jesus looking at us one day when we face him, and we will all face him. We must treasure his response to us as well done, good and faithful servant above anything that the world can offer to us. We must resist the temptation to grasp power at any cost. Now, if you're in here, you're going, Jason, I don't have any power at all. No influence, no authority, nothing. First of all, that's not true. Uh, you have authority and influence over yourself. Second of all, you got relationships with at least one other human being somewhere, okay? If not, we'll introduce you to some people in this room. But if you're saying, hey, at my job, at, at my, in my group that I'm connected with, like I don't have the title, I don't have the influence to do anything. Well, you could do two things. You can faithfully follow the leadership of somebody who's honoring Christ. And two, you can pray for leaders to not be tempted to exercise a, a pragmatic worldview where they do things that are successful and that work, quote unquote, instead of embracing what's faithful to Christ. You can do those two things faithfully. Okay. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment as we close, I want you to just imagine this for a second. Imagine you're in an episode of Scooby-Doo and you, you are there. You're animated. You can make your body look whatever you want, okay? Grow some hair, shave your beard, whatever. But in this episode, at the end, instead of only one person being unmasked, everyone is. And Jesus is the main character in this episode. You have an opportunity to respond just like everyone in this episode did. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, Judas, the crowd, the religious leaders, everyone had an opportunity to respond to Jesus Christ. The question is, will you respond in submission, in worship, and surrender to Jesus? Or will you request of him to stay at arm's length so that you can live life the way you want to. When you get unmasked in Scooby-Doo, is a worshiper of Christ revealed or a worshiper of self? Today, you need to make a decision to live for Christ. JC, you don't know my life. You're right, I don't. I don't know your life. What I do know is this. One day, the scriptures tell us, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess the name of Jesus Christ as Lord. And you have an opportunity to do that today before you face him after your life here on earth. Let's pray. And I'll ask you too, if you can this week, got a lot of teachers going back to school this week. I've never wanted to be a school teacher ever, even when school was a lot better. But I can't imagine being a school teacher today. Classroom sizes, the indoctrination that they're trying to get you to do to our children. And it takes a tremendous amount of courage to live as a follower of Christ, as a 
as a teacher today. And so I, we want to lift you up, teachers. We want to pray for you as well at the end of this service. But I'm going to ask you as our church family, could you please pray for teachers this week? Just love on them. If you know one, give them a hug. Buy them some coffee. Pray that they don't give up. Our children need great teachers. Okay, let's pray. God, we love you. And we, first of all, just want to say you are worthy of all of the worship. You are worthy of all of the praise. God, there are some people in this room that don't want to be unmasked. But I pray today, God, Holy Spirit, take that mask off of them. God, bring them face to face with you. And I pray, God, that you would give them the courage to look at you in the face and have a real honest conversation with you. God, I lift up our teachers to you today as they go back to school tomorrow. God, I just ask you to bless them. Give them patience. Give them courage. I pray that their sleep is extra good when kids start to come back to school. And I pray, God, that they feel loved and supported and that they understand what their purpose is in the schools. God, I pray for the rest of us in here. God, continue to speak to us. Continue to give us direction and guidance. And I pray, God, that you would always be the primary source of everything in our life and that we come to you for any direction or guidance that we need. God, help us as we live our lives here on this earth to be characterized by our worship, our service, and our generosity to others. It's in the name of Christ we pray these things and all God's people said, amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. We'll continue our series titled Extraordinary in our next episode. To prepare, read John chapter 6, verses 60 through 71. You can watch a video of this week's message, listen to worship, or even search through our message archives. All you have to do is visit brookwoodchurch.org media or download the Brookwood Church app. You can also subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date with the Extraordinary series. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have a great week.